Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, when I was a kid, I really didn't get to see my extended family to the same degree that a lot of my friends did because my dad's family lived on the West Coast and my mom's family lived on the East Coast. But when we would get together with our families, I really quickly started to see like my parents in, in a new way, and I started to really understand their behaviors more. So my dad's family, obviously the Shories, uh, they were known as the Shouting Shories. And every gathering was loud, people talked over each other, uh, but it was festive, it was exciting, like everyone loved to be together. Uh, there was always a competition too, and I remember at multiple family gatherings that we had when I was a kid, the party was never done until there was a pull-up contest for all the men. And I am not even kidding you, no one would stop until they couldn't take off their shirts by themselves because of how many pull-ups that they did. And it's truly, the, the, the reality was that their egos very much outsized their muscles. For what it's worth, I still love pull-ups to this day. And, and you'd be surprised uh, what you can turn into a pull-up bar in your house. So my mom's family, the McNeils, were known for being full of Southern charm and hospitality, at least when they gathered in large gatherings. The women were always dressed to kill, and I mean literally always. My 93-year-old great aunt wore several inch heels to her sister's funeral, who was my 97-year-old grandma. And I ne I'll never forget her walking all the way to my grandma's gravesite. The ground was, was sort of wet and unstable, and I just remember thinking, I cannot believe my Aunt Polly is doing this. She always looked great. Now, in smaller gatherings, um, the, the, the family was sort of known to tell it like it is. Maybe you have people in your life that are like that. They're like, hey, I'm just a truth teller. I'm just going to tell it like it is. Well, that was definitely the McNeils. And Christmas was never over until someone's or actually probably everyone's feelings were hurt. Those were just our families. That, that was my family. Names are almost often synonymous um, they're often synonymous with what people are known for. So as I share this, I wonder what my girls will think about the Shory Wilson family. I, I hope that they're always going to smile when they look back and they think about how we got together as families. And I hope that we took the best of both of our families to create this, this incredible, uh, messy mixture of people. My name is Neil, and I am one of the pastors here at the edge. I want to welcome you to our worship gathering today. However you're gathering, whether you're um, in a house church today or you stumbled across our podcast, we are excited to have you with us. And today <clears throat> we are finishing our series from the book of Colossians that we've called Christ in You. And specifically today, we're seeing what we can learn from Colossians chapter 4 verses 7 through 18. At first glance, it may seem like a formal benediction that just mentions a whole lot of names. And maybe you're like me, that when you come across a reading like this in Scripture, you almost feel like you should just skip over it, almost like it's not important for you to understand. But when we take time to read these names and understand who they were and digest what we learn from these people and their names and then combine it with a little self-reflection about our own names and character— I am convinced that there is much that God has for us in these passages. So let's pray, and we're going to get into it. God, today, as we 
close out this book of Colossians and we see what the Apostle Paul was inspired to share with us from you. I pray that you'd help us to get every single thing that you have for us today. And as we get it, Lord, help us to apply it to our lives and that we'd be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. with will give you a full report about how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happening here. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, now this isn't Jesus Christ, it is a man named Justice. So he was Jewish and he took on, he took on a Roman name to fit in with the culture. So Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. He also, he always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also prays for the believers in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greeting and so does Demas. Please give my greetings to our dear brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. There are at least three main things that stick out to me, aside of all of the names that are hard to pronounce. And here's the first. The church is a diverse family, and family is God's messy plan. The church is a diverse family, and family is God's messy plan. I want to point out quickly that the Apostle Paul mentions 10 people in these verses. Tychicus, the beloved brother helper, Onesimus, the faithful beloved brother slave, Aristarchus, fellow prisoner and devoted friend, Mark, the one who deserted Paul on a missionary trip and ended up writing one of the Gospels after being reconciled to Paul, Justice, the very present friend, Epaphras, the servant prayer warrior, Luke, the beloved doctor and friend, Demas, the friend who would turn away, Nympha, the house church hostess, and Archippus, the discouraged church leader. What an amazingly diverse group of people. They're diverse by ethnicity. They're diverse by religious background, by socioeconomic status, by profession, by the quality of their character and their expressed integrity. In almost every way, these people are different. And the very last people that I would personally choose to be all together to get things done for Jesus. But isn't that just like God to do? to call people that you would never call? Paul wrote to the church at Corinth about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, 
that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Do any of you remember that moment in recess? Did you play kickball at recess like I did? I remember in grade school, everybody was obsessed with kickball. And it was always fun, but there was that moment at the very start where you all gathered out uh, on the blacktop and then two, two captains were selected and the captains then made you go through this excruciatingly long wait where you, you figured out what team you were going to be on and what order you were going to be picked. The most embarrassing thing in the world, at least for me, was if I was worried about being picked last. Because you felt like the captains looked at you as if you were worthless and they had to sort of accept you. Horrible moments if you got picked last, but God actually picks the last person first. He picks the struggler. He picks the one with low self-esteem. He picks the one who was born on the wrong side of the tracks. He's not worried if you are an honor student, and he doesn't care if your parents have a sticker that says that you're their honor student. He's not in need of your wealth. He also isn't in any need of your goodness or your righteousness. God is good. Only he is good. That's the story of the Bible. And we become good not from the good that we do, but from receiving the good of who he is. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, it says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Do you get this picture? In God's gloriously messy family, all of our differences are insignificant compared to the one thing that holds us all together, and that is the person of Jesus. So here's the second idea that I believe God wants us to grab onto today, that names are significant, whether you are well-known or not. Names are significant whether you're well-known or not. People often tell us at the edge when we do baby dedications that uh, those are really important moments for families. And part of the dedication includes times where we, we talk about the child's names that the parents gave their babies and how in Bible times, names are really significant because they often spoke to the destiny that God had actually designed for that child. But not everybody, not everybody and not every baby is going to grow up to be famous. We know that. But when we're kids, don't we all dream of, of jobs that, that are going to make us well-known? They're going to make us be significant uh, in the eyes of others, or at least they're going to make us wealthy. Very few kids uh, dream of doing jobs outside of those things. But just as your son, I'm just going to break this to you, just as your son is probably not going to grow up to be the second coming of LeBron James, and your daughter is probably not going to be the next Billie Eilish, you also probably won't be one of those Instagram church influencers like, like you might be seeing. Like maybe the Apostle Paul actually would have been if Instagram had existed 2,000 years ago. But regardless of that, whether or not anyone ever writes about you on Facebook or Twitter or, or snaps about you, your name is significant. Because no matter how insignificant you feel, no matter how little attention the world or even how little attention the church has given you, God sees you. And he can use the great, he can use the small. He can use anyone who knows 
that they are sinful. There are two names that stand out to me in this story, two specific names, Tychicus, uh, one because it's a strange name, and Onesimus, well, it's also strange, but, but Tychicus first, it means to hit the mark. Interesting, um, because it's the opposite of the Greek word for sin, and the Greek word for sin is described as missing the mark, and Tychicus lived that out fully. He lived it out fully. He, he nailed it. He hit the nail on the head. He hit the mark. He was the, was the bullseye. He was Paul's beloved brother. And he stood with Paul when Paul was in pain, when Paul was in prison. He was a faithful servant. He did the work that God had given him to do. He lived out his name so very well. And the other one is Onesimus. What we know about Onesimus is that he was a runaway slave. He actually ran away from his master. He stole his master's money and he went to Rome and he met Paul. And Paul basically told him, amongst many other things, Paul told him, you need to go back and you need to make things right with Philemon. Philemon was Onesimus's master at the time. And Paul wrote in his appeal to Philemon in Philemon chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, he said, Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past. But now he is very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my heart. What's interesting, more than Paul's obvious affection for Onesimus as he's writing to Philemon, the name Onesimus means useful. And after Paul met with him, he embraced his name fully. And I think it's fascinating that Paul uses this play on words as he writes to Philemon. He said he was once useless. In other words, he was once not his name because Onesimus means useful. And now he's useful because of the changing grace of Jesus. Now, if you're struggling uh, like I have um, with this uh, reality that God didn't directly address the issue of slavery, more like he didn't like very directly address the issue of slavery, and, and maybe you're thinking, well, that means God's supportive of slavery. I would highly encourage you to watch the message that I preached just a few weeks ago on this very subject, I promise you this, your heart will be uplifted because God is not for slavery. He just goes about things a different way than we would choose. Now, here's our final point today, that how you start doesn't matter nearly as much as how you end. How you start doesn't matter nearly as much as how you end. Now, I'm thankful for that and I'm challenged by it. Now, I grew up in a home that I would describe as moral but unbelieving. And then I experienced the grace and the love of God through Jesus Christ. And thankfully, my parents returned to the faith that they had in their childhoods. And I want to stay the course. But I know that on my own, I will, I will stray, I will go left, and I will go right. It is only by God's grace, and I sincerely mean this, it is only by God's grace that I will stick on this course because on my own, I'm going to go to the left. I'm going to go to the right, but only by God's grace will I stay this course for the rest of my life. I am all too aware of my tendency to wander, even if it's just in my heart. The Bible, though, is full of stories of transformation. Uh, one of the world's favorites is uh, about this man known as the thief on the cross. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. Maybe it doesn't. So here's a, here's a little bit about that story. 
This man known as the thief on the cross was about to be executed. He was on one side of Jesus when Jesus was was dying for the sins of the whole world. And on the other side of Jesus was another criminal. And the other criminal uh, was angry and he spewed hatred at Jesus and at the executioners. And But the man known as the thief on the cross was humbled. He knew that Jesus didn't deserve this penalty of death, but that he did. And somehow the Spirit of God softened his heart enough. And all he said to Jesus was this, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. That's all he said. He didn't say a, a, a specific prayer. He didn't have all of his doctrine figured out, but he said, please remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said these handful of uh, destiny-altering words. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross, he most likely lived his entire life wrong, but in a moment, all was made right with him. And today, he's probably enjoying coffee with Jesus. But we can be drawn away from the purposes of God. Just because we started out okay doesn't mean that we will stick with it. Do you remember um, in the passage, uh, there was a man named Demas. Demas was the seventh person mentioned in the list. And at the time of the writing of this book of Colossians, um, Demas was serving and he was sending well wishes to the churches through the Apostle Paul, through his writing. But he didn't end that way. And we learned that as we learned that as Paul neared the very end of his life where he was faithful since his conversion. So we read about Demas and how he ended in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. It says, as for me, and this is Paul writing, he says, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. He continues, he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Hmm. Christ in you. May the spirit of Christ in us burn brighter than any competing desires. And may we all run well the races that God has laid out for us. Here's the thing. If you get to the end of your life and you realize that you've never done a good thing, your standing is exactly the same with God as the person who is preparing themselves to tell God all of the reasons uh, why he should let them in, all the good that they've done. The plan has always been the same. God made a way for us. That means that the biggest sinner the worst person that you know, the person that you think, at least I'm not that bad, is no different than the one who just barely missed the mark. Because the truth is, missing the mark is missing the mark. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. The Apostle Peter said, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God 
and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. It would be one of my greatest moments of sadness for any of you watching this today, whenever you're watching this, to miss out on how to be saved by God. It isn't about your goodness and it isn't about how bad you are. It is only about God and what he has offered you, and I encourage you to receive it today. May God bless you always, and I'll see you again in a minute.